So it's very difficult for me and a lot of people probably out there to have a personal brand. But then when you flip it, the way that I'm able to handle it is the reason I have a personal brand is so I can help people. We stand today. The Business Method. With a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week and will be labeled as HP number 12345678910 and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend, Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more about those masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash mastermind. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash mastermind. And now let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Listeners, welcome to the show and welcome back to the Business Method podcast today. We're glad to have you. I'm excited for today's guest. We have Eric Qualman on the show, also known as Equal Man. 
Equal man Eric started out working at Yahoo way back in the day. He's a Forbes top 50 influencer. He's a five-time number one international best-selling author and speaker. His books include The Focus Project, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, which sounds exciting. I want to check that book out. What Happens on Campus Stays on YouTube, Digital Leader, Social Nomics, and How to Sell on LinkedIn. From his book, Digital Leader, he was voted the second most likable author after J.K. Rowling from the Harry Potter, Potter series. He's an international motivational speaker. He's spoken in over 55 different countries. His social nomics work has been on 60 Minutes to the Wall Street Journal and used by the National Guard to NASA. He has over 500 universities using his materials. He's a former sitting professor at MIT and Harvard's edX lab. And he's received an honorary, honorary doctorate for his groundbreaking work. His studios, Equal Men Studios, produces from A to Z award-winning movies for Fortune 1000 companies, small businesses, and nonprofits. He's on the podcast today. Eric, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Good. It's uh, great to have you. We were introduced through Dave Williams, which is a longtime friend of both of ours, and he's the founder of the Nomax, Nomad X community, an occasional sponsor of the podcast. And um, so glad to finally meet you because I think we, we tried to get you on the show and went back and forth with scheduling for a while, uh, for maybe a year or so, but we, we finally got you on the show. So, And you're in the same city I am in, Austin, and just down the road from what I hear. So how's life? Life's good, no complaints, and we're living in Austin, which is a good place to be during all of this craziness. And so yeah. I can't wait to get together with you as well in person. Yeah, even though there's a lot of craziness going on in Austin, it's still a good place to be, um, comparable to a lot of places in the world. So we're very fortunate for sure. Um, Eric, I'm, I'm always curious, like I love personal brands. I love learning the science and business models behind personal brands and how they evolve to that. And, and you kind of notice uh, two different types of personal brands that come up. We have uh, personal brands that come from somebody that's created an immense amount of success and they have to just become a personal brand. So you think a sports athlete or a very successful entrepreneur and like almost society or the world is saying you now that you've had all this success, you have to be a personal brand. And then you have people um, that um, start out from ground zero as a personal brand. And I'm just kind of curious, did you, when you, you started out back in the day working at Yahoo, did you always know that you wanted to be a personal brand or was it after like a certain amount of success that you, you know, finally the world was like, we need Eric, we need equal man, form your own personal brand. How did, how did it evolve for you? More the accidental approach. And okay. even in my career, when I started off, I don't even think they had the term personal brand, to be honest, yeah. they yeah. probably used the term reputation. Um, and so, yeah, it was all, I worked at Yahoo, worked at big companies like General Motors, AT&T, and then worked at a smaller company's head of marketing at Travel Zoo. That company went from private to public. So a little different path. That's what I always tell people, because you'll hear some talking heads say, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you'd only be an entrepreneur. That's definitely not true. I can go down the list, starting with myself, of people that actually started kind of, quote unquote, on a general path, and mm -hmm. then decided to go down this different path. So definitely by accident. And then after the first book, Social Nomics, then realized over time that people, even though I'm from the Midwest, I'm from the Midwest, you know, you're originally from the Midwest, is that 
it's kind of in our DNA not to be like me, 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 look at me. So it's very True. difficult for me and a lot of people probably out there to have a personal brand. But then when you flip it, the way that I'm able to handle it is the reason I have a personal brand is so I can help people. Yeah. So once you flip it and go, if I wear these crazy green glasses, it's worth that discomfort if I can help one other person. Yeah. And so for a lot of you listeners that are kind of like, I don't want a personal brand. If you flip it like I have and understand that mindset, it's part of it is really just so you can help more people. Yeah. There's so many people out there and very successful entrepreneurs that are kind of timid, like people that have built eight figure businesses. And I'm sure you've met them, Eric, uh, that are timid to build or to create a personal brand because then they think they're going to be titled like a fake guru or something like that, you know. Um, and so but when you start to kind of dissect the science of a personal brand and why they're needed in society today. Um, then it, it really kind of makes sense. And we all have a personal brand in our own right, whether we realize we're building it or not. And you said it perfectly. You said back in the day, it was just reputation. And your reputation is your personal brand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for the listeners, you can't see this, but for the video, um, those watching the video, Eric's got some bright green glasses on and he wears them all the time. And that's part of his personal brand. And is that like your alter ego? Like you put those on and you're like, okay, I'm, um, equal man now. Yeah. It kind of helps if you're going on stage, you're like, all right, let's just take a deep breath, put these on and now you're equal man. But uh -huh. I'm wearing them more and more. I almost wear them all the time now. So that's been somewhat not somewhat, it's very uncomfortable, but over time you kind of learn to live with it, but it comes up more than you think. And so if we want to, I get in the story of why I wear these green glasses, yeah. but it even came into fruition at the gym the other day, cause this guy that works at my daughter's school said, and I had a mask on and he's like, I wouldn't have recognized you without your green glasses. Uh -huh. And so it comes in a little nuances where it helps more than you think. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Bono from U2. He does the same thing. Like he always wears glasses, but I think it's so he's not recognized not wearing <laughs> glasses in public eye. And it can work in your favor too, but but what uh, what sparked it? What uh, started it? So if you look at my name, Eric Qualman, it's just first initial, last name's Equal Man. So whenever you give your email address, it's always Equal Man. So I've always been Equal Man and I didn't like it at first. And part of the reason I'm going to tell the audience this story is because I do think we're all living the same movie. We're just different actors within that movie. Mm -hmm. And so you'll, it'll be resonate with all of you just how to step fully into your story and don't do what I did, which is really, I resisted my story for 15 years because it's uncomfortable. Um, and so I didn't like the, the name Equal Man. Like you mentioned, I was at Yahoo. People might say, hey, we need someone to work the weekend. Well, Equal Man's got super strength. He must have super strength because he's a, <laughs> at that superhero name. He can work the weekend. Hey, we need, hey, we're running out of food for this meeting with the client. Well, who's the fastest here? It's probably equal, man. He's got that super fast speed. So uh -huh. all good natured stuff, but I actually didn't like it. And then after 15 years, something happened for me. Uh, and then I realized, wait, this name is happening, not to me, but it's happening for me. Yeah. And what happened was I went to do an interview for a magazine. They wanted to take a photo for the cover and they're talking about my books. And so they go, hey, you've got a unique moniker. We wanna have some fun with this cover. Do you mind if you wear some Superman-like Clark Kent glasses? And I said, yeah, we can do that. And they go, it's our St. Patrick's Day issue. Do you mind if they're green? And I go, yeah, I mean, I went to Michigan State. Green's great, you know, bring it out. Okay. They bring them out, I'm like, whoa, those are really bright. 
but we have some fun with that shoot. And then a couple of weeks later, I fly to Kenya to give a keynote speech. The night before I'm going to give that talk, I went to a rescue shelter to adopt a baby cheetah. Uh-huh. Not to take home, you know, my wife would kill me, but just to kind of support the local area. And I know you travel a ton. It's just a better way to figure out, you know, what that country and that culture is all about to kind of get out there into it. And on the way over, the lady that I'm with said, hey, the Olympic sprinter Usain Bolt adopted from the same litter of cheetah that you're going to adopt from. And he was here a couple of days ago. We took photos and video of him. We'd love to do the same if you don't mind and kind of marry that together. We can raise more money for the shelter. Mm-hmm. I go, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm happy to do whatever it takes. And then she kind of pauses and she looks at me and says, but of course, when we're filming and shooting, we want to make sure you're wearing your green glasses. Oh, wow. And I look back at her and I go, I don't wear those all the time. I look <laughs> ridiculous walking around wearing green glasses all the time. Mm-hmm. And the look at her face, I never wanted to see that again. And it kind of hit me over the head like a two by four to realize, wait, this is not happening to you. It's actually happening for you. Right. And it's crazy as a marketer that it took me so long to realize, wait, this this is a way to differentiate. This is a way that if one other person could recognize you that helps get our message out there, that helps empower them, then it's worth that discomfort to walk into that, fully walk into that discomfort. So it's a long way to say, not only is my cheetah much faster than Usain Bolt's cheetah, but... It's a long way to say that your story, a lot of you listeners out there, some of you stepped into your story, but you haven't stepped into the biggest chapter. Ooh. And that's absolutely normal because that biggest chapter is actually walking in discomfort. It's kind of just making sure you step into that fear with your own personal story. And so I hope that helps everyone out there. I know it's helped me a lot and it's helped our career and understand discomfort means that at the beginning, and even to this day, we won't get booked for deals because say a business goes, well, we need someone more serious. What's up with the green glasses? Mm-hmm. But we make a lot more deals because people are like, yeah, let's have some fun. Let's give them to the audience. We actually now are in the business of producing these glasses by the thousands at these large conferences that put the logo on the side. So it's, a, it's been a long journey. It's been a fun ride. There's stuff that you never think of as nice. an entrepreneur that can happen. And so hopefully it helps all the listeners out there. You do, do you tell people, you know, if you're, you're feeling down or you're feeling like afraid, just put on your glasses and then you become, you know, super equal man afterwards or woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell the audience when they hand them out, I'll go, Hey, my hope is that a week from now, two weeks from now, most of you, if you have kids, you're going to give them to your kids because they love these things. Yeah. But even if you're not wearing them, I hope is at some point you look over and you see them and it's a reminder, it's a physical reminder, hey, am I walking in discomfort? And a lot of that discomfort is, am I doing the one thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now? Because yeah. sometimes we avoid that throughout the day because it is the, probably the hardest thing we need to do. Yeah. And so that's part of walking discomfort as well as tackling that hard thing we don't want to do. And so my hope is either look at them or some of you rock them out, put them on and make it happen. When we're mm-hmm. in the audience, so I'll, I'll actually tell people to put them on just so they can get a sense. I go, some of you are going to feel silly. You don't want to put these on and then they'll put them on and then the CEO starts laughing, smiling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's often that first step that's the hardest. Is it a sort of an alter ego for you? Oh, you even have a green straw for your drink. That's cool. Uh, is, is it, Eric, is it an alter ego? And I'm asking because I have uh, a good friend who's one of the top rodeo entertainers in the world. And he has an alter ego. And his 
his alter ego. So he has a stage name. He's got his real name, right? And he's got his alter ego personality. And his alter ego personality is like this guy named John Jack, which is like kind of a John, John Wayne type of cowboy. Like in whenever he's afraid or whenever he's scared to go out in front of a new audience or have a new rodeo that's bigger than he's ever done before, then he's like, what would John Jack do? And John Jack <laughs> never has any hesitation. Like John Jack is always on top of it. So even though he's 40, you know, he's still going back to this boyhood uh, type of um, alter ego that says, what would this, what would the, the most fearless cowboy in the world, John Jack do? And he would hop on the bull and he would go out there and ride there, right out and entertain the, the crowd. So is it kind of like that for you? Do you feel different when you have them on as opposed to when you have them off? I definitely feel a little different, but now I'm wearing them so often, but just making sure when I look in the mirror and I have them on, or sometimes it's just literally, sometimes my wife will go, we're having a, a dinner meeting uh -huh. or just meeting some folks from dinner. She's trying to probably impress them, whatever it might be. She goes, ah, oh, you really wearing the green glasses? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, come on, I'm already feeling uncomfortable about these things as it is. Yeah. No, but over time, you just learn to walk in that discomfort. I think the one thing that I wouldn't say it's an alter ego, but I think people will be surprised whether it's in an interview like this or I'm on stage is that you're on stage. It's like, Hey, you got an hour go. Oh, you mm -hmm. got three hours. You got to go. And you're talking the whole time. Once I'm off stage, part of it's decompression, but, and this is true for a lot of folks that are out there, quote unquote, in the public spotlight is that they're probably a lot more introverted and quiet than you think yeah. off the stage. Yeah. And so you definitely want to sit by my wife at a dinner party, not me, unless I'm a really good listener. So uh -huh. some people love that. Most people do love that. Uh, but once I'm off stage, I'm a little more quiet and reserved than most people would think. So you have uh, an incredible amount of very impressive accolades. And um, I'm curious, you know, you started out in a corporate world, Eric. When, when was the shift to, hey, I'm going to be a personal brand, I'm going to be an inspirational speaker, I'm going to write books? Like, when did all, wh when was the transition? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of gradual, to be honest. I mean, most stories you'll hear, it's like, black and white, I woke up, can't do this anymore, throw <laughs> it out, go forward. And so I'm always trying to help those listeners, a lot of your audience probably out there as well, is actually the hardest time to transition is when you enjoy what you do. So I always had good jobs. Mm -hmm. I liked what I did. And so that's the hardest way to transition. The easy thing is like, I hate my boss. I hate my job. It's like, then quit, do the other thing. That's the easy one. Yeah. It's when you're like, I like what I do. I've got a family I got to support. It's good money. That's the harder transition. So for me, I was in the corporate side of things, again, big and small companies. And then I wrote the book, Socialnomics. What so year was, was that? Sorry, go ahead. What year was that, Eric? Uh, 2010 is okay. when it was published. Okay. 20, yeah, I wrote it in 2008, 2009. I think it was published. It might have been 2009 it was published. Okay. But that book comes out, and it really changed my world. Mm -hmm. So I was still, you know, I had a big team running digital for a large international company. It was privately held, but it was in 50 countries, 30,000 employees. Okay. So I was literally taking vacation days to fly to Brazil. I remember flying to Porto Alegre to give a talk and then flying back immediately. Like I'd be in these countries for like five hours because I'm taking vacation days. Oh, wow. And then come back and have to deal with my team who are amazing. You know, the owner of the company is awesome. And so finally, I just said, look, I had to go in and go, look, I love what I do. I love the mission of this educational company that I work for. 
but I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. Like this is an opportunity that's kind of come out of nowhere from the book. And I didn't realize you can help. I think I can help more people doing it this way. Right. And so fortunately they said, all right, let's cut your team. Let's cut your salary in half. We'll give you benefits, which is important for me because I, you know, baby on the way. Mm -hmm. But let's just have you sit here as a coach slash consultant within the organization. I go, great, because I love the mission. You know, I want to help. And so we did that for four years. And then eventually it just made sense for me to just completely do this full time on all fronts. Yeah. And so that was the transition. The reason I went deep in that is because I think a lot of your listeners out there, again, if you hate your job and like don't even want to get up that's easy just quit go yeah. to the next thing you know take that leap but if you're like i am it's a little more difficult there are different paths you can do figure out like i did go in and straddle it see if go into that meeting knowing that they could say have a nice life but i went to that meeting to the owner of the company and said hey i'd love to figure out some way for me to still be involved yeah i, I just can't manage my team and i can't it'll be a disservice to the company and to my team and to you if i kept doing this what i'm doing going on this path i'm just exhausted yeah and so figure out there's there's more in the middle than you think there's always room for that negotiation to figure out what works for all parties that's great because uh, a lot of times the, the cliche story is I hated my job. I had an idea. I made the leap. I then became, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I made the leap and then I found some sort of success, you know, and, um, you know, I, I don't know when you were younger, if you felt like you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but it was kind of like an evolution. You wanted to write a book, you wrote the book, and then all of a sudden you had the success from the book. The world was telling you, Eric, we need you to be a personal brand. And then you kind of stepped into it, but uh, it was a little transition for you. It wasn't like cut and dry and burning the bridges behind you, you know, it's like, oh, let's ease into this and see how it worked. <laughs> yeah, there's all different to... paths. Yeah. yeah, and I go over that a little bit in the book, The Focus Project, with the guys that started Warby Parker, the mm -hmm. glasses company. You know, they were at Wharton, then they took high-paying consulting jobs. And, you know, a peer of mine, Adam Grant, also great books, like, you know, Give and Take. You should check out his stuff, all you listeners out there. Mm -hmm. He's a professor at Wharton, and, you know, these are some of his students. And they try to get him to invest in the company. And he goes, are you full-time on this? They're like, no, 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 it's like our side hustle. He goes, well, I'm not investing in Warby if it's not your full-time gig, I'm not gonna invest in it. And so I go into a couple stories where you can straddle it. It's like that side hustle, and then you kind of go into that. Obviously, the more glorified stories are burn the bridges, cut, cut it off. You know, everyone has their own path. Yeah. And so just figure out what's the best path for you. And it's funny you mentioned entrepreneurship. Literally, at the University of Texas, I took an entrepreneur class. I didn't even know what that word meant. Yeah. Like it was the first time they'd started the entrepreneur class. And someone said, You've, the, the person I was talking to, the student goes, yeah, I don't even know what it is, but you got to take this. Whatever that guy teaches, he's really good. Yeah. And so I go, all right, I'll take it. And so literally that explosion in the last two decades in entrepreneurship. So I'm just, I didn't think I was going to write a book. You know, that was never on the, write a business book. That was never on the radar. And so yeah. it's really just kind of, enjoying the journey, right? Enjoying that moment. And then you'll look back and go, wow, that was crazy how I got here. So you were, while you were still working, so you put the book out, it became pretty successful. Was it, um, uh, it was a bestseller on uh, international bestseller also? It was, yeah. Socialnomics, yeah, yeah it kind of yeah. exploded. And then a video I did with it went massively viral. Okay. 
And then you got invited to do speaking gigs, right? Speaking engagements. And um, your first one you got, were you like, were you surprised? And were you like, I don't know how much to charge for this? Or did you do it for free? You know, what was, what was that process like for you, Eric? I uh, definitely did the first couple for free. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I was the head of marketing at Travel Zoo. So I was speaking. Okay. So I, I have a tendency to mumble. You might hear it during this interview. Okay. And so I would take Toastmasters in, in graduate school. Like I, mm. I took it mainly so I could communicate better with my friends. You know, like they jokingly make fun of me, my voice and just how I mumbled. So I got I, I to get this thing under control. Okay. And so did that. And then at Travel Zoo, the founder of Travel Zoo is German. And so English is not his first language. Mm-hmm. And so part of my role was baptism by fire is that I would go with him to Wall Street, to the press uh, to kind of be another voice. And so looking back, that was a huge help for me. Yeah. It was very daunting at the time because it's all new to me. But when I wrote the book, Socialnomics, they put me in this book expo, which is large, excuse me, <clears throat> it's the biggest art, uh, book fair for launching books. So the publisher said, hey, we need to go speak on this. So before I went to that book fair, though, just the impetus for Socialnomics itself, we were spending about 50 million a year on search at Travels, which at the time was a lot. That might okay. not be a lot now, but it's a lot. And so at these search conferences, search was the biggest thing. And I started talking about social media and people were like, what are you doing? Like people want you to talk about search. This is a search conference. Search is big. Social media is like this teenage thing. It's not right. a business thing. And so I go, wow, these people, I was frustrated. I go, they don't see it. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, they don't see it. Yeah. And my buddy goes, hey, go talk to our publisher. And I'd been rejected for fiction books, like a hundred rejection letters. So I know how hard it was to get published. Mm-hmm. And so I was going to meet the publisher, but I had to go to this other conference where I was going to hear Tony Blair speak Okay. for the company. So I had to go to this for this company, but the way it came up, I didn't mean it, but when I was at this interview for 20 minutes, just grabbing a quick coffee with the publisher, I said, I, I hate to do this, but I got to run. I got to go to this meeting with Tony Blair, but it sounded like I was like meeting with Tony Blair. <laughs> I don't gotcha. know if that helped get the deal, but all of a sudden we signed a deal. They love the name Socialnomics and so wrote that book uh-huh. and then it, they had me go to that book expo. So it's crazy. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like sitting next to Julie Andrews, like my mom's favorite actress. Uh-huh. And I had my mom up for a mom's weekend, just happenstance in New York. So she got to see it and she's like, thought it was really cool. And mm-hmm. But I got up on stage and I spoke and I got off stage and there's a guy there that said, Hey, I don't know what you do for a living, but you know, you should speak for a living. Yeah. I go, you can do that. And then, so the first couple deals to your question is they were free. And then I got excited when someone paid a friend at a company said, Hey, I need to speak. I'll pay for your airfare and pay for your hotel. I'm like, this is great. Yeah. Free travel. Free trip. This is awesome. And then all of a sudden you start talking to a lot of mentors along the way, whether it's Seth Godin, whether it's Guy Kawasaki, they're like, you should charge this. I'm like, what? Yeah. Are you crazy? They're like, yeah, yeah, just throw it out there. And I'm like, wow, okay. And then you start to get paid to speak and then, you know, this is amazing. I love doing this. I love helping people and you're getting paid for it. Win-win. What was the first amount that you charged somebody, Eric? 
So the first about was like, just, Hey, pick up the room and the board, right. uh, pick up the travel. And then the first one was 5,000 and then it quickly ratcheted to 10,000. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you're in that space. Like fi- then when you move up to 15, there's different tiers in the speaking world. Right. And then 15 to 20 for quite some time. And then there's an epiphany for me as I realized I was speaking very technical, very technical social media items, very technical. Okay. I started watching some of the top keynote speakers because I normally was like the second person or third person. Yeah. And I'd listen to them and I'd go, well, who doesn't know what they just said? I mean, I'm like, everyone knows that. Right. And then I realized, wait, wait, A, not everyone knows it. And B, these guys are geniuses because they know what the audience wants to hear. Mm. And so it's like a curse of knowledge to realize hey, you know, don't get, if you want to be the keynote speaker, it needs to be a little higher level and more inspirational, okay. motivational, something that talks to the heart and the brain, not just to the brain. Right. And so if you're caught in those work, those breakout sessions more like I was, which was more to the brain, once you figure out it's, and it's more my DNA to talk to the heart. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually an easier transition. I enjoyed it a lot more to do that. And then ironically enough, that puts you as the keynote, like wow. the number one person. Yeah. And so then you jump up to that 30 to 50,000 international gets a little more, but then it jumps up at that larger dollar range as well as a speaker. In your busiest year, how many speaking engagements did you have? The busiest year. So well, I have guardrails, so it'll only be 52 nights away from the kids. Okay. And so you can do, especially I won't talk about virtual, but before virtual is you can do a couple in a day, mm-hmm. depending on the city location, the flights. Um, and, so, and the one, one time, but anyways, the short answer is 75, but that's unusual. Yeah. Cause then we put the guardrails in place. I know people that do hundreds and I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I, mean, I know a speaker that most of you guys would know, and they actually fractured their back just from the travel. Like just sitting on the plane that much, they actually had a hairline stress fracture in their back. Wow. And with the young kids, I just didn't want to do that. So we have the guardrail 52 nights away from the kids in a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's great. It's helped revenue even because then you just increase your fee because you have less days uh, to actually be out there. Uh, But it's been a great, great journey. That's just something for me. Anyone that wants to do the 150 speak speeches a year, knock yourself out. It's just not for me and my lifestyle with the family. Yeah. I have a, a friend, um, who does 200 a year pre COVID yeah. and, uh, but he has a wife and no children and you know, him and his wife are on the same page with it. And a lot of times they travel together. So yeah, yeah but that's, that's crazy. I like your policy, like 50, 52 days a year, um, away from the kids, you know, then you get 300 or so, um, with the kids like that, that makes sense. That's good boundaries. Yeah. Now my wife and I don't get us wrong. We're trying to, if we can be fortunate to do this, we have to be relevant 10 years from now, which would be very difficult to do. Uh-huh. But if we are, then that's just the greatest thing. Cause then we'll just travel everywhere yeah. together, just city to city to city. Yeah. So you have, okay. So two revenue sources, um, the books, and then, um, then speaking engagements. And then you also have, uh, Equal Man Studios. Is that still, yeah, still going. 
and you you produce videos, award-winning movies for Fortune 1000 companies, small businesses, and nonprofits around the world. Um, when did that actually? What was your third? I guess your your next. It was that the next revenue stream for your personal brand, your company. It is, yeah. So okay. we did a video, or I did a video for Social Nomics, the book, because okay. I'd talk to people for let's say a CEO for an hour and they go, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We should probably do that. They're like, that's great. That's really interesting. <laughs> they wouldn't do anything. Right. Right. They're like, oh man, I got to up this. So I go, let me grab some data that speaks, you know, louder than words. Like Google likes to say, you know, uh-huh. trust in God, everyone else bring data. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, I did this at the time. It was crazy. Cause I think it was four to five minutes. Just like, marrying data into a story of why social media was for business, mm-hmm. for politics, government, changed the way everything. It's called social media revolution because it's revolutionizing the way we communicate. Okay. Easy for us to see at the, now, but at the time it's like, what? That's just teenage stuff. Like just screwing around, this thing's gonna go away. Right. And so that video went massively viral and literally people, companies would call me and go, hey, because we used some new technology at the time to make some cool like kinetic motion graphics mm-hmm. and they call me and go, Hey, can you do that for us? I go, no, no, no I just do that. I just did that for myself. And then like the second company calls, Hey, can you make a video for us? I go, no, no, no I, I just did that, you know, for the book. Uh-huh. They're like your audience is listening going, this guy's not too bright. Like why does he move faster? <laughs> then the third knock. So don't do what I did. Cause you're not going to get that third knock often, but I got the third knock and then we go, yeah, yeah, we've got a whole, we'll, we'll make it happen. So then that was, the birth of the studio. And then we've been lucky. I mean, we work with small companies, large companies. I'll mention the large companies because most people won't know the small names, but yeah. we've done animation for usually two to three minute videos. Now they're 90 seconds to two minutes, but for Disney, you know, for Oreo, Cartier, Mont Blanc. So it's fun, you know, nice. storytelling uh, through animation. Nice. And, and so um, you wrote the book in 2010, right? social nomics and then you started your speaking oops you started your speaking engagement your your engagements and when uh, timeline when did you start equal man studios equal man studios started in 2011 okay so that went pretty quickly yeah. and um that's cool and so then do you have any other revenue sources for your personal brand or is there those three the primary ones still to the day the, the one that I'm proudest of, because I don't, I'm not involved with it anymore. So this is all to the team and we've okay. got a very, very tiny team, uh-huh. but is socialnomics.com or socialnomics.net. Okay. Is we own both the URLs, but that was a blog I started with the book. Okay. So I used to just personally write the blog and then over time, because of time, you know, constraints, then we flipped the model to be more of the Huffington Post model. So we had people that wanted to contribute. Mm-hmm. And so we'd have writers. Now we have over 100 writers from 13 countries that oh, nice. write for social nomics. Wow. And then there's an ad supported model with that. So that is the only revenue <laughs> that I've ever been able to create that's kind of like that mailbox, aside from royalties from the book. Because once you write a book, that's kind of mailbox money that's coming in. Right that you're not 
putting any time toward anymore. Right. And so hats off to my team that have taken this to a new level. Uh -huh. um, and it was one of those roller coasters where once I came off social nomics, you know, the views went down. We hadn't monetized it at that point. And so the views are going down. And so I, then, then they took it to a whole new level and the writers, it's been amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's a good topic to talk about because a lot of personal brands, when they like say the personal brand or the person of the personal brand stopped working or just decided to, you know, go on sabbatical, a lot of times their revenue or their, their personal brand kind of diminishes or, you know, fades away. And so it sounds like when you had social nomics originally and you stopped working on it, then it started to slow down. But then you, you decided what made you decide to create a company around that or a blog around that and then build a team around that. So it could be continual monthly income coming in with, with you there or without you there. Yeah. Almost anything that I do starts kind of with me as an audience member. Okay. So I'll say, well, I want to read this. Okay. And so for social nomics, I go, well, there's a lot of smart people out there. A hundred people is going to be better than me. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be the experts on X, Y, Z, you name it, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Mm -hmm. And so I want to read what their knowledge is. Mm -hmm. And so that's how almost any project I do starts is that I want it. Okay. And so at least I have an, and Tim Ferriss talks about this. You have an audience of one. Yeah. So at least you have a minimum audience one, you. Yeah. And that's kind of how our podcast started too. I wanted a certain content when I was at the gym. So I go, let's produce that so that at least I have it. And if I want it, there's probably other people who want it. And yeah. so again, a lot of people talk about that, but I really buy into that. Um, and so this will be helpful for your audience, I think, especially with what they do. And, you know, a lot of them are nomads and a lot of them are digital savants, digital leaders. So obviously what you just mentioned is completely true. I go, well, what happens if I, whatever, name it, you can say, get hit by the bus, win the lottery. I don't exist. Uh -huh. And a good example to always look at is look at Walt Disney. So yeah. Disney's still here inspiring people long after Walt Disney's gone, but right. it all started Walt Disney. It's named after his last name. Right. And so I was like, well, we got to get different revenue streams that don't involve me. And so we map out four P's, right? There's performances, me on stage, there's production. That's the studio piece. There's publishing. That's the book piece. And also the social nomic. That's the blog piece. Okay. Then there's partnerships. Partnerships can be coaching. They can be me as an influencer. Still a lot of them involve me, but it's like diversifying that revenue stream from just me giving keynotes on stage. Yeah. And that's really hard to do because you cannot beat the margin or the fun of giving a keynote speech. Mm -hmm. But we did that. And what happens is all of a sudden our keynotes go down because what are we doing? Our focus is on these four pillars we're trying to build. So then for two years, all of a sudden we're looking at our well, keynotes are down because we're not focused on that. Okay, let's pause. And this is when the focus project gets going the book, we pause that and then immediately the keynotes take off. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing is when the pandemic hits, since we'd put all those time into those four pillars, all of a sudden more people are digesting content online, right. they're digesting podcasts, 
all of a sudden, because you put in that time, it was worth it. And so I, hopefully that's helpful for all you folks out there. The other thing I learned is that you got to figure out what your strength is. So I'm sitting there going, I want to scale this, but I realized that that's not my strength. Mm -hmm. Now to scale this, if we really want to scale, I have to hire like a COO or a president that that is their strength. And so you can take different models on how you go about doing it. So I realized that I'm more of a JK Rowling model. If it were to scale, someone else is going to help me scale it. Okay. Meaning that she wrote those books and then along comes the universal studios and they build the park, they mm -hmm. make the movies. And so that's how she got to that scale. It wasn't her driving that scale. That wasn't her strength. And I quickly realized that's not my strength as well to manage probably whatever you name your 10,000 people, whatever it might be. And so hopefully that's helpful for all your entrepreneurs out there is that there's in my mind, there's a lot of different paths, but there's two major paths on how you get to scale. It's like, that's in your DNA. That's what you do. Well, it's not what I do. Well, I'm not an operator or it's in someone else's DNA. And then you're more quote unquote, the artist, the salesperson, whatever that might be, that that's your strength. And then you combine those two forces. Yeah, that makes sense. That's really cool. Um, you know, you talk about this in your book, the focus project, but I, you hear this from every entrepreneur, uh, focus on one thing, build it, get it to a point, focus on the next thing, build it, get it to a point. Um, well, it sounds like that, um, you did that from time to time, but you also had numerous things going on that it seems like, uh, does your attention have to, to jump from project to project or was it like, oh, I'm, I'm focused on this book now. Everything else is is uh you know off the calendar and then i'm going to focus on the next thing then i'm going to fo focus on the social nomics blog how how's that work for you yeah i mean i always say you got to deal in reality and so <laughs> when i'm talking about the focus project the book so and more and more i'm keynoting on the focus project i always tell her on stage i go look this is i'm a work in progress yeah so i am sharing my learnings with you all of you are different on how you attack this and so you got to know where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses lie. And that's why I say in the book, there's four basically focus animals. And mm -hmm. it'll be interesting. I'm going to ask you which animal you are. Yes. So I'll go over it at a super high level. So you've got an army ant. The army ant can parallel process. So an army ant can carry basically 10,000 times their weight. Okay. But that doesn't mean they should because they get back to the anthill and they can't get, there's a certain circumference of that anthill. They can't get all this stuff in there. Or they the have a, uh, a, a fracture in their spine from there's a fracture <laughs> in their spine, uh, yeah. but there's the folks that won't fracture their spine uh -huh. that can carry the load and the, but that doesn't mean they should like right. just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. So that's the army ant. You're parallel processing like five to eight projects when you should be probably at most one to two. Yeah. And then you've got the hedgehog and all of these are strong. They're all strengths, right? If you look at the hedgehog, this is more probably the lawyer at the company. Okay. They're more likely to be like, Hey, I want to write a book, but in order to write a book, I got to get my PhD in book writing. Mm -hmm. So they think they have to get all these skills before they actually hit the go button or, but they're very helpful because they might be in the meeting and go, you know, I don't know if we should move all of our extra capital to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the hedgehog. Then if you look at the chameleon, the chameleon's a people pleaser. And so that's a good thing, right? They're really good emotional intelligence. They're putting others needs first. 
The key is it becomes a detriment when you go to that extreme where you never put your needs yeah. first. Yeah. And so you think about that airline passage, they say put your mask on first before your child's. And so it's making sure that you're not putting the mask on your child's first, then all of a sudden you're out of the picture and then everyone's in a, in a bad place. Yeah. And so that's what the chameleon looks like. They're more of a, more of the people pleaser when it comes to focus. So they're focused on other people's stuff, even though they should be focused on maybe their big rock that they need to move. Yeah. And then last but not least, and a lot of people fall into this category in this day and age as well, because all the technology that helps push us in that direction is that you're a squirrel. A squirrel's like next shiny object. Okay, so you're focused, you're amazing at starting things, kicking things off, you're super excited, but you're not the one that gets it across the finish line because you're looking at the next shiny object. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about understanding which animal you are. And most of us, I say we major in one, yeah. and minor in another and so then it's understanding that as a sole you know an individual entrepreneur it's important for you to know that but also if you do have teammates it's trying to give folks that have those different strengths so that you surround yourself with the folks that so you don't have all army ants yes at the company <laughs> and then yes. so i'm going to make put you on the spot yeah so i'll go over them again you got army ant you got squirrel you got chameleon and then you also have Hedgehog, which one would you major in and which one would you minor in? I, I, I think I definitely major in squirrel. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. But uh, I have learned the discipline over the years to um, do my best not to be so squirrely. And I would say minor uh, might be a chameleon, but I also see some um, similarities because I, I do often put people first. Um, uh, but see some some parts of uh, a minor in an army ant as well um, with carrying trying to do too much but sometimes that's part of what a chameleon does too like trying to please too many people right so yep. so yeah you can relate we can relate to all four for yeah. sure we yeah. all we all play them at some point yeah what are you i'm an army ant major and then squirrel minor okay um, but what i've learned i've gotten better at it and it's a daily fight so example, like as an army ant before, right now it's crazy, but we have a, I have a young adult fiction book that's been done for, for three years. Okay. But when you map things out of everything we need to accomplish, it frustrates the heck out of me. But at best, that's going to launch next October at best. And it's already been there yeah. for four years. Yeah. There's also, we want to possibly win a Grammy in music. But that window might be six years out. Wow. Yeah. Now you can change that by possibly hiring more folks or taking that different level, but that's just the current, before I'd kind of have them all running simultaneously and that mm -hmm. just doesn't work. And the science proves that out. Again, do you, but that's one thing that I've been better at is, okay, because right now we've got this uh, game that we're gonna get out because we're an edutainment company. Okay. So all this stuff falls into edutainment. Yeah. And so my kids love playing a certain card game that I made up. And so we're going to bring that to market. Okay. And so it's just like, if that allows families to have deeper moments rather than being on their devices, cause I'm a digital guy, yeah. but I'm a lot of Flintstones too. So I want people to give breaks from their devices. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, so some of the stuff you got to systematically map it out. Yeah. How big is your team, Eric? You talked about them a bit. Like what's the size of your team now? No, I'm proud that it's small. Yeah. yeah, this team's amazing. So 
My wife works full time, which we can talk about that uh, with the business, working with your spouse or partner. And then we have a full time chief of staff. Mm -hmm. And then we have three part timers. And then we always have four amazing interns that stay on for quite some time. And then most of them come from the University of Texas. During COVID, we've done more remote. Nice. Uh, branched out, which is cool to deal with all these other universities. Uh, but that's what we have. And then we obviously engage with some folks that we, some freelancers that are known that we use, especially on the animation side. Yeah. Through different tools, like your guys are probably familiar with like Upwork and. Yeah. So very, very lean, very, very lean. We're proud of that. Before I'd kind of want my chest out. We've got 12 employees because at one point we'd grow stuff and I go, wait, wait, this isn't what we do best. It's actually better. You should be proud to have fewer amazing people yeah. <laughs> and fewer people. <laughs> or yeah. just the right ones, right? Yeah. Um, I, I love that. Like I love models um, that are low employee, few employees, uh, but they do really well for like the companies do well for themselves. When I first realized that I, I interviewed um, the founder of Squatty Potty, Bobby Edwards. Oh, he, nice. Yeah. That from Shark Tank. Yes. Yeah. And he had uh, at the time, this is 2016 when we interviewed 2017. Um, he had uh, 30, 30, they think they did 35 million with 17 employees, all remote. Um, and I thought that was just fascinating. Now I have a good friend. He does 1.5 million uh, with one employee, basically an assistant and um all online everything can be run from his phone and i just i think it's so beautiful because it's it's so frictionless to have mm -hmm. a smaller team you put the right people there that that do what you need to get done but to say like i, I hear people talk about oh i've got 50 people or you know uh, 30 people or 100 people in the company i'm just like that sounds like a lot of people to manage, <laughs> even if you have somebody managing all over that. Yeah. I was like, I, I like the 1.5 with one employee. Like that sounds really nice. You know, yep. you know, you having, um, you know, three or four and then some interns like that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I'm somewhat conservative by nature. So it's, you know, like I'll buy that my house and yeah, down the line. Right. Just then I feel like I'm playing with house money. Yeah. But part of that, I learned that, from Ralph Bartel, the founder and CEO of Travel Zoo, okay, is that we would go to Wall Street and say we make the most revenue per employee of any company mm -hmm. on the Nasdaq, and they weren't used to hearing that number. Wow, and so that's, we would back that's, that yeah, out. I like that. Yeah, so it's like I learned from him. I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah, and a lot of these Wall Street guys are like, what, what, what's that number? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then they'd be like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your, your internship program. I've had interns before. Uh, a lot of digital entrepreneurs do internships these days. A lot of students or um, aspiring entrepreneurs like to hop in and do an internship or a mentor mentorship mm -hmm. um, and learn more about the digital world. Um, what what kind of program do you have for your interns? How long have you been doing it? Uh, where do you, you said the University of Texas, which is here in Austin. Um, yeah. You know, details maybe more about the, the program you run. Yeah, we've been doing it now nine years. That's a long time. And we love it because we have the alums, so it's fun. Okay. And then what they've gotten, a lot of them started their own companies or they work at Google or at Facebook. Nice. Macy's, Donald and Pepsi. And so it's been fun. It's been fun to engage with just amazing, young, talented people. And usually we try to get them as 
sophomores mm-hmm. and so that they're on board sophomore junior senior year and we've had a lot of success mm-hmm. with them staying on uh, which helps with that continuity and then over time what we've learned too is we just have super defined roles there's flexibility within those roles okay but we actually give them real work and it's a specific rather than at the beginning we'd be like yeah do we do this you know f- fill fill your spot you know do what you play to your play to your talent we found out works better mm-hmm. nope you're specifically going to work on the podcast like you are actually in charge of the podcast production yeah and you're going to work closely with our amazing chief of staff that's going to work closely with you and here's all the prior documentation mm. that we use we call them quick start guides okay and so all the things that we do have quick start guides so there's specific roles that they come in and they usually have one big project that also has metrics. So we also have them report out on metrics because it's important for interns to learn the P&L of companies to understand that it's not just all fun and games that you got to be moving the needle. Right. I love that. Um, what are some of the roles that you have the interns? So you said podcast production. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Other roles, social nomics. So they'll run the blog, work okay. with the columnists, help with the posting, getting those up and live. Um, then we also have one that's in charge of social. Okay. So that helps a lot because whenever you do a social post, you have to resize it for everything. Yeah. There's different handles. If I mention a handle and so they'll help with all the nuances of getting those posts live. Okay. So it could be, I take something, I go, Hey, let's do a post around this. And then it goes out there and we can talk about systems we use. We use monday.com to manage all this. Okay. It's like Slack, but for small businesses. Right. And so those are three major roles that are always filled. Then we always have a rotating role depending. The fourth one's always just depending on what the business need is at the time. Yeah. It could be, do we have them do, occasionally have them do outreach for keynotes, not too often because that doesn't usually work. That's usually more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we look at their strength. So some, we've had a programmer in the past, so we go, hey, let, you're in charge of redoing the, the back end of the website and doing the SEO. Okay. So that fourth one's rotating based on we, this person's talented, what's their talent, and then put them on that part of the business. And do you do, are they paid or unpaid internships or how do you guys structure that? Yeah, it's always structured to start off as a stipend. Okay. And so we found that works well because they really want to be here. It's not just, then they move to hourly from there. Usually, often, it depends. Depends. Okay. Often, it's, it depends on the, the macro environment and yeah. what works best for the individual. Uh, and what the skill set is, but sometimes it's stipend, sometimes it's hourly. It depends on the the macro environment. And are you putting um, like an ad up for internships at the University of Texas, or how do you how do you find them? Yeah, we're really involved with. It could be through an association. So for all you listeners out there, it's getting with the association, the clubs, and the association, making sure that you keep that string, which is hard because if you take your eye off the ball, you got to make sure you know the president, the student president, incoming, outgoing. So that's what we found the best is you can keep that chain and you get great talent is usually connected to great talent. Yeah. And so you could keep that chain. And we've had even different family members work with us, which has been awesome. Nice. And so they know what they are getting into before they come here. And then we know usually what we're getting. They're not always the same, but it's just like the work ethic. So it's been great. But yeah, well, it's post on Indeed. We've just got constantly running out there. But a lot of it's, and I always tell 
my chief of staff when I'm speaking in front of the class, like I give lectures at a lot of universities, I go, if you don't hear me, tell them about the internship, like raise the red flag, like before I get done speaking, remind them that we have these internship programs. Nice. Very cool. I want to dive into some high performance talk and focus and productivity talk. And I know you have this book, the focus project, which I picked up at the airport and I said, Oh, that's a sign. I definitely need to, uh, (laughs) to, to get into that book before Eric comes on the podcast. But before we jump into that, Eric, is there anything about your business model that you think we missed or we can, or that you should share with the listeners, um, that we haven't touched on? No, I think it's just basic. It's back to the basics, which sometimes we weren't always good about, but I think actually work remote, we've been better about. We've been fortunate that we run a very high margin business. Yeah. And so for a lot of entrepreneurs, you just keep it in your head and that's not a good thing to do. That's not a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so just have those metrics. We have, I like to make 90% of us are visual learners. Okay. So what we do is we're always rowing to certain islands. And so we want to make sure there's millions of islands, there's like thousands of islands, right? But it's really the big islands that matter. And so when we look at our schematic, we're looking at usually three to five big islands for the year. Mm-hmm. And then we graphically fill those in, is the island red, is meaning you're off target? Okay. Is it yellow, meaning you're probably on target, but there's a little concern, or green, like you're crushing it. And so that's a way every, week we actually again this isn't you like you weren't doing that but i think a lot of entrepreneurs you're running so crazy all the time you have to do everything yeah that you forget to check in metrically with the team and so that's what we do everyone has at least one metric and again we're looking at these big islands primarily we're not going through every metric mm-hmm. we're just looking at the big islands the simple and i learned that from alan Mulally. he was the ceo of ford so i shared the stage with him and he did the same system like stoplight system and he told a funny story because we took over Ford there in dire straits. I mean, I think the stock was less than two bucks mm-hmm. and they start this system and he comes in the meeting and everything's green. <laughs> He's like, guys, can't all be green. I mean, look at the stock. They brought yeah. me in because things aren't going well. <laughs> right. In the next meeting, someone finally had the guts to do red. And then, then he said they could finally have some progress. And so that's the only thing I'd just remind people because I have to remind myself it's you got to constantly be looking at your progress towards your goal. And I know that sounds like, why would you forget that? I mean, I'm a former athlete. It's like, you've got to, if you're going to run a marathon, not that I'm a runner, but if you're going to run a marathon, you got to track so you can make that 26.2 miles when you eventually get there. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if we're part squirrels, then it's easy to get off track and focus on a new project or get excited about a new project, right? Yeah. And we need those boundaries. Uh, one of the things moving into the actually real quick before we move into that, um, do you have a target on like how a number you want to keep your margins at? So like X amount of margins, if we go below that, we want to get back to that uh, to stay in that high profit, high margin range. Uh, we don't. Um, okay. And so it's just we've been it's so most of the stuff we're in so high margin that it's just not we're actually the upper. I'm finally I'm very conservative. Uh-huh. And so we're finally playing because the folks that we work with on the financial side for our taxes, like you need more expenses. <laughs> and so we're finally playing more offense in terms of and it's really difficult for me, uh-huh. but playing more offense in terms of, hey, that's not 
a hard that's not an ROI that that's like a negative ROI. Yeah. And then sometimes in the bigger scheme of things though, especially personal branding, yeah. you kind of have to take that hit. And so that's just a learned process for me as well as fortunately over the years, we've built kind of the, that arsenal to where we can have that ability to do that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. And then, then you get into the tax nuances. So you're really not losing as much money Yeah. when you do that. So they're always like, you got to like increase the amount of expenditures you have. You got to go back to the old Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. Money in your pocket is an yeah. asset. Money out of your pocket is not an asset. Right. Um, do you do you mind sharing what your margins are? I mean, you can think for a keynote speech, it's pretty high, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, you got to bake in all this stuff. There's an interesting article written many years ago in the Wall Street Journal, though, on why Malcolm Gladwell commands $100,000 because it's factoring all the time you put in the book. It's factoring in this travel time to that location, yeah. opportunity cost on down the line. So some of the stuff's hard to actually pin, but mm -hmm. that's the beauty of business. It's you a lot of times more living in the gray area. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can imagine most of the stuff's above 50%. Yeah. Some of it's not like when you look at, say, I talk about getting this card game out the door. That's probably going to be more around, I'm guessing 20%. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. depends on what business you're in. Yeah. Um, one thing that, uh, and talking about accountability and percentages that you mentioned in your book that I thought was really great in a statistic, we should all be talking about if you're definitely talking about productivity and optimization goal setting, and probably all entrepreneurs should know, um, in one way or the other, you have percentages broken down. So if you have an idea or a goal, there's a 10% chance you'll accomplish it. Now, if you decide, make a decision that you're going to do it, that percentage increases to 25% of success. Um, then you decide, you actually decide when you will do it, that increases to 50% chance of success at actually getting accomplished. And then you commit, verbally commit to somebody that you will do it, your odds of success increase to 65%. And then if you actually, and this is one of the most important ones that people so often forget, you schedule accountability check-ins, and that is a success rate of 95%. And I think that's thoroughly impressive um, because it's like, you know, people so often ask themselves, why don't I accomplish this goal? Well, one, you know, wasn't an idea in your head? Did you ever write it down on a piece of paper? And two, did you ever tell anybody and create some sort of system to help you accomplish that goal? And that's what so many people ha don't have out there is a system to go rely back on to how to complete that goal. No, it's, it's, it's so true. And it's funny because it's still a learned process for me. Cause sometimes why don't we verbalize our goals? Yeah. Cause then it becomes real. Yeah. And then, then all of a sudden, if you don't verbalize it, then you never failed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And once you verbalize it, but the beautiful thing is you're not going to get there unless you verbalize it. You just yeah. aren't. Yeah. And so it's a learned pro I always flip through the book myself because there's a lot of stuff we pulled that, that I was struggling with in terms of focus. And so it just kind of gets me back on the rails, which inertia, the life's going to pull you off those rails. And so it's like I always go back to some of the items. And I love that you brought that up just around that goal setting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> just in intuitively, it makes sense. Then the numbers back it up. Yeah. And 
I mean, even going back to college, so like I was cut from my basketball team as a junior in high school. And then I got to Michigan State, which is top 10 in basketball, but I still had this dream of playing college basketball, which seemed ridiculous. Like to play at Michigan State when you're a freshman. And the, the epiphany was I kept dreaming about it at night and then I had one year left. People don't realize this, they always say I have four years of eligibility. You don't, once you start school, your eligibility starts ticking, whether you play a sport or not. Okay. People don't know that. Yeah. And so I'm going, I got one year left. I haven't told anybody this laughable goal because it's ridiculous, but <clears throat> I started to see, I, I think I can make the team. Well, I started to see the other players, the 13 that were there. And so I finally told people, and there's people that laughed. And then there's other people that are like, all of a sudden they become your support network. They're like, why aren't you in the gym? You know, you got to put on 30 pounds. All right, you got to do this, blah, blah, blah. And so they held you accountable to your point. And so I, even learning that on his early age, that gravity pulls us away from doing that. So there's probably dreams for all of our listeners out there that you haven't verbalized it. So if you take anything away from today, take that big dream you have and just tell one person. And then that's often that little step that gets that ball rolling down the hill. So yeah. hopefully that's the one thing you do today is you all have that dream in there that you haven't told a soul. You've only told yourself. And so go tell someone. Yeah, I love that. Your goal is not a goal until you tell somebody else. Like it's, yeah, there's no, and, and yeah, I love that a lot. You, you also mentioned here something that I thought was really cool, focus foods. And we can dissect that some more because so often people get wrapped up in different, you know, diets and, um, they're, they're, you know, I've got to have 65 coffees in a day and in order to operate <laughs> or, you know, they're, they're, they're sporadic or on the weekends, maybe it's pizza or maybe not even follow a diet whatsoever. They want to enjoy or say they want to enjoy life with whatever food they want to eat. Um, but there really are like we, I, I'm big into neuroscience and performance optimization. I have a, a brain scanner, a high end brain scanner that we use to measure our clients and, and people in our mastermind, their brain health on a regular basis so we can optimize their brain levels. So often it's very much connected to diets, uh, foods, supplementation, and imbalance of exercise and work, right? In life. So your focus foods you mentioned in the book was avocados, which are amazing. I'm at two avocados a day. I like, got my avocado smoothie in the morning and then pop it in a salad in the evening. Blueberries, which are great. Got um, a lot of good nutrients in blueberries. Green tea. Uh, I use the Brain Boost green tea. I'm drinking it right now, actually, uh, from Superfoods. I think it's one of the best green teas. And from what I've read, and maybe you can back this, Eric, but... Um, the only good green tea is really an organic green tea. The the ones that come from you know in a big box of you know fifty of them for uh, a cheaper price from China quite often aren't those th that great of a green tea. Then you have leafy greens, fatty fish. Of course, you need your omega threes. Water, and I don't think people realize how important water is for productivity and focus on a regular basis. Flaxseed nuts, uh, coffee, depending on the person. Eggs are great. Beets are amazing. Um, and then you mentioned dark chocolate as well, which I think re releases some endorphins, but not the unhealthy chocolate or, or the, the healthier chocolate. Um, what, what type of diet do you mix? Is this like your regular diet on a daily basis? Cause that's pretty much everything I eat right there. I don't think I add anything else except maybe a protein bar from time to time. What's your, your diet like? 
Yeah, I mean, when I travel, it can, I'm definitely like anyone susceptible to slide. And I've got young kids that are eating ice cream all the time. So mm -hmm. sometimes, but it's really most of the time pretty good. I'll take weeks sometimes where I'm just like, all right, this week, just relax. Just you're on vacation with the kids. Yeah. Um, but it's consistently fairly strict. And I like it over time. Like, that's what I enjoy. I actually like the taste. Healthy food, if you do it right, actually has most amazing tastes. Mm -hmm. yes. I was just up in Michigan to where middle of nowhere, upper north, just the, if you ever taste like a fresh apple, organic from the tree, the taste is just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And so it, that's a whole nother podcast. We can get into it. There's more experts on food. I definitely recommend reading The Pegan Diet. Uh, that's a great book. Uh, the Pegan, Pegan Diet. P-E-G-A-N. Yeah, okay. Pegan Diet. Okay. Uh, that's a great book. And what is you that mentioned diet? Water. I, I haven't heard What's of that. What's that, sorry? I haven't heard of that diet before. What is that? It's basically taking paleo and vegan and combining them. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. And it, it's really just what you think. I'll give you the 30 seconds on it. Eat mm -hmm. whole foods. <laughs> you know, lean meats are actually good for you. Yeah. And so eat whole foods and lean meats and you're good organically. The good thing is there's a, I didn't know this, there's, you can Google dirty dozen. So every year they come out with what are the dirtiest, cause organic's expensive. Or if you buy these eggs, like if you take a regular egg and crack the regular egg, meaning like a dollar 30 for a carton, just mm -hmm. like, okay, name your store, Kroger, HEB, Publix, whatever. Yeah. And you crack that egg, it, cause when you, anyways, I'll get into that. When I used to travel, to, when I traveled to Europe, I was always like, why are there eggs orange? <laughs> like the yolk why is the yolk orange this is weird and then i realized oh because in america everything's got all these steroids and these different chemicals in it so if you go by the pasture raised so it's not free, free we won't get into too much of this but if you just like get the pasture raised, that means they're letting the chickens eat the insects they're just in their natural environment right it's gonna be expensive a carton of those like six bucks yeah where the other eggs are $1.30, but if you crack both those eggs, the pasture raised are literally orange and the other one's like a light yellow, you'll see the difference. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, the reason I brought up the Dirty Dozen because we can't afford, some of us just can't afford to eat organic, it's expensive. So you gotta pick and choose which are the most important. So you look at the list, it'll say strawberries are very dirty. So that's one you probably wanna buy organic. Mm -hmm. Whereas something else like banana, you're probably pretty good just buy the regular bananas. Okay. And so they come out this list every year, the dirty dozen. So you just Google it for the organic food. So you could pick and choose which one, when you have the capability, if you're gonna kind of spend more money, okay, it's more important to spend it on this particular food because that has more pesticides, chemicals in it if I don't get it that way. So. That makes um, sense. But the reason it's in the book is because most of us attack sports. We know we have to eat healthy and train a certain way, but think, you got to think about the same way, like as you know, a mathlete or you go into the office, it's like, how do I increase my focus? A lot of it's back to diet. Just yeah. even you mentioned water. A lot of times when you feel tired, it's just you're dehydrated. Yeah. If you drink a bunch of water, all of a sudden your energy increases. Yeah. I was at, they have yoga in the park here in Austin and I was at uh, yoga in the park on Tuesday and they have free rainwater, but it's been, you know, filtered of course and made potable and it was 
tasted so fantastic. I was like, this is real water. This is what it's supposed to taste like. <laughs> like you just, it, there was a notice, noticeable difference in the quality of water. And I had a jug full of water as well. And that water was just like, wow, like just yeah. really, really fascinating. Um, I'll tell you another trick with the eggs as well. If you poach an egg and put it in boiling water, the eggs that a lot of times it's hard to keep it, you know, the, the whites and together because it just like goes all over the place. That is a bad egg with a lot of chemicals in it and normally from a corn fed chicken. So when you have the organic grass fed, um, free range chickens, when you put them, put those eggs in the, the, the boiling water, it, the, the whites will stay together. And oh, interesting. The, yeah, the stronger, the more they stay together, the better the egg, the higher quality of the egg. I'll have um, to do that. That's pretty cool. And yeah. then last but not least, because I think this is really important because it's like a life hack. Mm -hmm. It just happens to relate to food. But in the Focus Project, the book, I always say, figure out what's going to work for you that allows you to focus on the important things. And so we get into like Steve Jobs, the reason he wore a black shirt is because it's one less decision because you have decision fatigue. Mark Zuckerberg does the same thing. And so your brain's just like your phone over the course of the day, it gets tired. And yeah. so it's important to attack first things first, you know, the most important things when your brain's at its optimal. And it's also important if you can figure out hacks to where it requires less decision-making. So you can save that brain power for the important decisions. Now this doesn't work for everyone, but it happens to work really well for me. Is it again, something happened for me, not to me. I used to cook egg whites, you know, scramble them up. Mm -hmm. And one day I left it on the stove too long and I come over, I'm like, oh my gosh, these eggs are gonna be burning. And it formed, basically it hardened the whole thing in a small pan and I flipped it over and hence frittata. I'm like, wow, egg white frittata, A, this is way easier to cook. B, it's way easier to clean, and C, it tastes better. So all of a sudden I have this win from a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so I did it for the Focus Project, but now I just do it because I like it. I usually eat breakfast, but it's really, a long, I'll do it after this talk. I usually do it around 1130 because, you know, I want to eat in those windows, 18, whatever you do, you know, intermittent fasting. We talk about that in the book as well, but mm -hmm. so... I eat the same thing basically at 11 o'clock every day, like avocado, arugula, tomato, lean turkey, and an egg white frittata. Yeah. And it's just one less decision. It's just systematic. And I always have that stuff in my fridge. So when I buy groceries, it just makes everything else easier. So again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's just how do you find those life hacks to limit your decision making on the little things? It also just make your life easier. Love it, man. I love it. Do you have a favorite life hack, high performance tip, uh, high performance hack that you're, you're working on right now? I'd say the biggest learning I had, and this isn't anything new, it's just this goes back thousands of years when you look at the research. And that's what I was trying to pull together. What's worked for you know, hundreds of years and what's kind of new with the digital era, because I'm a digital person, and marry those two. So this isn't anything new, but it's the most powerful thing for me is just like always asking, what's the one thing if I do it well, it makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of books written. I mean, the one thing by Jay Papasan and Gary Keller, also Austonians, is great. I mean, they do a whole book on that. But it's really about just always reminding myself, what am I doing right now and why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. And so just being more present and intentional. Uh, you think about that more in terms of yoga, 
but it's actually very critical for business. Just mm -hmm. pausing throughout the day. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? It's the one thing that I should be doing to make everything else either easier or unnecessary. And so that's kind of what I'm always going back to throughout the course of the day. And I'm not, I'm not perfect at it. It's always a learned process. You think that's easy. You hear it once. Why can't you do it? It's like what Tony Robbins says is like, you know, it's not knowledge. People know if you want to get in good shape, you got to eat better and exercise more. Mm -hmm. It's actually the execution. Yeah. That's amazing. Eric, I think that's a fantastic way to wrap up the podcast. You've given us so much knowledge and wealth and experience and, and tips. I really appreciate it. Um, any final words for the listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, just step into your story. It'll be uncomfortable. Step into that biggest chapter of your life. And part of the easiest step, tactical way to do that right now, I want all of you to do this. That thing that you're dreaming about in your head, just verbalize it to one person. Go, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. And once you do that, it's daunting because now you're going to have to do it. But I look forward to you doing it. Definitely send me a note. Please send me a note if you did that. And then uh, six months, a year from now, when you accomplish it, I'd love to hear from you. Love that, Eric. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? I'm easy to reach. It's easy to remember. It's just equal man across the board. So feel free, equalman at equalman.com or equalman.com. However you want to reach me, it's equalman at social, whatever your favorite mode of communication is. If I can help you, don't hesitate to reach out. Perfect. Eric, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our six, seven and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.